Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. And I didn't know that. So Pastor Dan comes over to me. He's got his phone in his hand. And he, and he like shakes me. He goes, hey, Pastor Tyler, we got to get going. I get so scared. I didn't know what happened. I was like, <gasps> I start freaking out. I don't know why. I grabbed his phone and went, hello. true. And he just goes, oh, that's my phone. Thank you. Welcome to Collision 2022. Y'all ready in the house tonight? Hey, y'all. Man, I'm so happy to be here. So glad to be here in Angola, Indiana with y'all. Collision 2022. My name is Pastor Tyler. If you have not met me, What is up? I'm thankful that I get to preach and give you guys the word today. I'm thankful for Pastor Dave allowing me this opportunity. It's so amazing. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you afraid? Turn to your your other neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Man, we're going to face our fears this week. Y'all ready to face your fears? I got some. Listen, I was like thinking through this message and I was like thinking of some fears that I got. I got some fears. I got some things that I'm afraid of. I actually started like looking up to see if there was an actual like phobia definition of the things that I've been afraid of growing up my life. You know, I'm talking about like monsters under the bed, that type of stuff. Y'all like ever like see something in the dark? You're like sitting in your bed and you're just like, bro, I know something's there. You like turn and you look and it ain't there. But it's like, oh, but I knew it was. It's tricking me. They thought I couldn't see it. Now, I have some of those phobias, too. I don't know if you... Is anyone, like, afraid of, like, snakes, spiders, stuff like that? Anyone in the house? Y'all afraid of it? Y'all afraid? Okay. Spiders? Spi- uh-uh. Get, get those things away from me, Lord. I, Lord, I, I, I hate spiders. I cannot tell you how badly I hate spiders. But I got a couple of interesting phobias that I'm actually wondering if you are afraid of these two as well. I'm going to list these off. Uh, the first phobia is called gargalophobia. And this is fear of being tickled. Now, me and Kevin Spearing, uh, one of the leaders, he, he was standing there next to me, and I didn't know it was him, and he just, like, touched uh, my side, like, to, like, get my attention, and it shocked me so bad, and I'm like, oh. I went to, like, fight him, forgetting that he's literally a Marine and can rip me in half. But I didn't know. I didn't know who it was. I was just I was so ready to fight. I got that fear of being tickled. Literally, someone doesn't have to tickle me, but if I feel like there's a threat of being tickled, I'm mad, dude. I'm already afraid. I'm like, get me out of here. My brother, he like laughs and goes, ha ha, this is funny when being tickled. I go, I need to find the nearest baseball bat and hit whatever just tickled me. That's the fear that I have. And that fear produces uh, a lot of anger inside of me. And now, not only do I have gargalophobia, I have what's called bathmophobia. Bathmophobia, not the fear of taking a bath, not like that. It's the fear of going upstairs thinking that someone's behind you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, y'all, I had this basement, and I would go down in the basement. My mom would be like, don't get this. I'd be like, okay, mom, and I'd walk downstairs. I'm like 10, right? And then as you go up, you like look around before you're about to leave. Flick the light switch off and run because you know someone's behind you. And you get upstairs, you look, no one's behind you, be like, oh, but I knew there was. 
Y'all have that fear? Dude, I swear, every time I go up steps, I'm like, there is something behind me. It's about to grab my legs. I have that fear of like, right when I get upstairs and I turn back around, I'm just waiting for like there to be a figure standing right there. I'm watching you walk upstairs. I have that fear. Now, all of us, we have different kinds of fears. Some of us, we aren't afraid of things that other people are afraid of. One of the fears that I know someone in this room has is called aphidiophobia. Aphidiophobia. This is the fear of snakes. And although some people might be afraid of snakes, I am not because I have a pet snake. His name is Eric. Now, I know someone who's very afraid of snakes. His name is Matt Prosser. Matt, why don't you come on up here? Come on up here, Matt. Come on up, Matt. Listen. Matt. Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. Come on up, Matt. What? I'm just saying hi. Listen, I've had Eric since he was a little noodle, okay? And he's grown into a big noodle. I don't know. Come on up here, Matt. Come on up here. Come on up, Matt. We're facing our fears. Stand right here. Stand right here. No, he didn't poop. Stand right here. Stand right here. Okay, so Matt has never held Eric. I've been roommates with Matt for almost two years, and Eric's had his little tub that he's been sitting in because he sits in a little tub, and he's been chilling by himself, but never has Matt wanted to hold him. And so today, he particularly asked if he can hold him. This is fully true. Would you like to see Matt hold Eric? You got him? You can't let go. Don't let go of him. Oh! Give it up, give it up! <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. I love my son. This is Eric. He's very nice. And uh, the thing I love about him is he literally like takes no effort. I have to feed him like once every three weeks. I feed him a rat and he eats it and then we both live our lives. He sits under a rock and I just do whatever I want. We love each other even though I don't think he even knows who I am. But he's my son. This is Eric. Now, I think a lot of us, when we think about fears and phobias and anxieties, we can literally call up and just like pull up some of the fears that we have. Fears are like hardwired into us as humans. You literally do not have to be taught how to fear. It's like part of you. You don't have to be coerced in fearing. You don't have to be uh, told how to fear. You're literally pre-wired. Your, your body has been pre-wired to fear. Now, you might fear things like snakes, like Eric. Is anyone here actually afraid of Eric? Anyone here afraid of Eric? No? You're going to raise your hand. I'm going to call you up here. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. I should, though. That'd be hilarious. But we're pre-wired to fear. Listen, fear is baked into our fallen nature. Us as humans, we have been created. Listen, we were created perfect. But since perfection has fell in the garden with Adam and Eve, we have been pre-wired to literally fear. Now, there's some interesting research that I found when I was looking up fears, is that researchers say the first two fears to surface inside of a person happen within the first couple months of literally being alive. And even though they can't react, 
the reaction time, their brain isn't fully developed, the reaction time is not the same, you can see that there are signals of fear when they feel falling or loud noises. An infant, an infant can already feel fear. They weren't taught how to feel it. They literally just felt it from the womb. They came out and immediately they had showings and signs of fear. Fear is baked into us. See, according to research, a six-month-old shown pictures of spiders and snakes. Isn't this interesting? A six-month-old, without even ever knowing or being taught what a spider or a snake was, showed signs of fear. They were afraid. Fear is a part of our beginning. They were afraid. They didn't have to be taught how to fear. You can literally name 10 things that no one taught you how to be afraid of that you are. Matt, I guarantee you, no one's like, hey, you should definitely, let me sit you down. You should be afraid of snakes. He just woke up one day and didn't like them. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how we get our fears in our particular ways and orders. I know some of it happens because of just the upbringing we have, but we didn't ask for it. I didn't ask to be afraid. I didn't ask for these fears. They're just baked into us as fallen humans. The ideas of monsters under the bed, I brought that up earlier. <laughs> no one taught us how to be afraid of the monster under the bed. No one taught you how to be afraid of the dark. You literally just were one day. It just happened. And it's interesting though, think about this, it's interesting though. Why the dark? Why monsters? Why under the bed? Why do we share these commonalities and these fears at times? Why do we share these commonalities and these fears? Because I believe not only do you develop them when you're young, when you are young and you're vulnerable, your brain isn't fully developed, but also the enemy knows that if he can get you and change you when you're young at the beginning stages, he can affect you later on in life. Think about that. The fears that you had growing up, you might not have all of them, but you might still have some. And if the enemy can inflict fear upon you at a young age so that it's grippling, so that it, you, you can't get out of it, so that you feel like you'll never escape it, he'll be able to hold you farther and longer into your adult life. Maybe it might be a fear of snakes. I think it's interesting that fear begins in the beginning for us as humans. When we're born, fear is in the beginning. I want to go back to the beginning, beginning, like the, the real beginning with Adam and Eve. So we're going to take off in Genesis, and we're going to look at what God and Adam and Eve had, had, uh, had encountered in this story. Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. When you eat from that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will certainly die. From the get-go, from the start, God says, listen, don't do this. I'm telling you straight up, just don't do it. It ain't worth it. You don't want to do it. Listen to me. Hear the severity of my voice. Don't touch it. It says later, Adam and Eve were there, and they approach, and they get approached by a serpent. Now, Eric's a nice serpent. He's not like this one, right? But they get approached by a snake, and the snake begins to talk, and it says this. 
It says this to the woman, you will certainly not die. The serpent says to the woman, completely contradicting the first thing that God says, you will certainly not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. I just think it's interesting, first off, first thought, uh, literally Adam's standing right there, and he does nothing. He sees this serpent that his wife is talking to, crazy, right? And he's just like, chill about it. He's like, that's crazy. <laughs> Weird. And he sees it. He doesn't do anything. He listens to his wife converse. She gives it to him. And they eat from the tree. Now, the first reaction out of the tree, this is what happened. Or when they ate the fruit of the tree, this is what happened. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. The very first consequence of the very first sin was fear. Fear was the first consequence of sin. Adam and Eve in the garden they committed the very first action against God, and the immediately, immediately what happens is fear sets in. They start to realize, oh, what have I done? They get fig leaves, they cover themselves, they hide from God because of fear that captured them. So what, what can we understand from this? We can understand that not only was fear the first consequence of the first sin. We can understand that the reason why they did that sin in the first place was because they did not take and heed the word that God told them. He said what? Do not eat. And what the enemy does, what the serpent did, was he came in and he took the severity of the word of God and he said, it ain't that big a deal. He downplayed what God had elevated. He made seem not scary what God had implemented as scary. Now, you might be getting a little confused here because first off, we're talking about fear is a bad thing, Pastor Tyler. I don't understand. Why were they supposed to be scared? If they would have had an adequate fear of God's word when he told them not to eat, they wouldn't have had, had slavery of fear when they ended up eating. If they would have had a fear of God's word and his voice when he said, do not do this thing, if they would have had an adequate amount of fear and listened and heeded, and when the snake talked, be like, bro, I don't think you know who you're dealing with, snake. We're talking about God. I'm not going to downplay that. If I mess up, he's going to be mad. 
If they would have had an adequate amount of fear of God, the result would have not have been a distorted fear of God, right? A sinful consequence. The, the result would have not have been a fear of God based on sin, but a fear of God based upon the reverence of who he is and the power of his words. When we truly understand that this fear of God and this fear that we counter with the world, they're at tension and they're two separate things. If Adam and Eve had actually listened to God and they would have hidden him and they would have listened, they would have took his words and hid him in, hidden them in their hearts, as the Bible says. They would have taken his words and, and applied them to their walk. What would have happened? What would have happened is they wouldn't have ended up hiding in a bush afraid because they were first would have had an adequate amount of fear of God. If you've never heard this concept of fear of God, I'm not talking about Jerry Lorenzo. I ain't talking about essentials. I ain't talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about what the Bible has established for thousands of years. What God has established from the beginning. When the Bible says fear God, it means it. It says it a bunch. It talks about it a lot. It's important. And we first have to understand this concept of the fear of God before we can go into the other messages, before we can go into fams and we talk about the fear that we have. We first have to establish the base ground fear that God intended before we try and figure out the fear that we held as a consequence of our sin. We have to first look at what he is before we can examine ourselves. And he, and he really states the fear of God a lot. He talks about this so much. In Psalms 33:8. he says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Proverbs 14, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. A fountain of life? <laughs> Some of y'all be like, what you talking about? A fountain of life? Fear of God? That's what it says. Fear of God is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death of death, Luke 1.50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The fear of God is so prevalent as a teaching tool for you to not only understand him more, to not only grow in wisdom more, to not only listen better, to not only live in obedience. I'm talking, these are all scriptures that he talks about in the word. This is the consequence of the fear of God, right living, obedience, love. These are the good outcomes of the fear of God, of an adequate fear of God. But when we don't live first with a foundational understanding of what God has done and the, and the fear of God, we can't go into any other fears and try and get there, try and accomplish it, try and overcome it. We cannot get there until we understand the fear of God. It's impossible. You're literally just putting a Band-Aid on a limb that's completely gone, hoping it grows back. It's not going to work until you've restored the fear of God that you maybe are missing in your life. If you're still confused because you remember the scriptures, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You'll be like, man, I feel confused. I feel confused. 
in that, in that verse, it says, he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but then why is it saying for us to fear him? We're going to dive into that. We're going to unpack what this means, what it means to fear God. And I believe that as you maybe are beginning your Christ walk, maybe you literally don't even believe in God at all. Listen to my words here, y'all. Listen to my words. You're struggling with your understanding of the belief of God. Maybe because you've been fed your whole life a whamsy-pamsy, a, 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 a weak God. Honestly, maybe you've been fed something that just feels good all the time, and you haven't had a rounded understanding of who God is completely. Listen to these words. These are important. God is not, he is not going to just be what some would call, I, I remember this theologian, he called, he says a lot of people treat God like he's a desperate boyfriend, where he's just like, I'm running after you. Oh, and you're just like, I don't want it. I'll come later, right? And, and he's like, oh, he's so much so chasing after you. And that's true. But guess what? He already died for you. He already did all the work. He is a big God with big standards that starts from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He didn't kick out all the standards once the New Testament started. He's still saying, I want you to live in holiness. I want you to know me. But it first takes you to step up in fear and trembling, approach the God of the universe. And then you'll experience a love that you've never had. But you have to understand the fullness of who God is. The fullness and understanding. There are levels that I believe as you grow in maturity and understanding the fear of God, there are deeper and deeper levels that you will experience when you Understand this fear of God. And in, and in a bunch of moments of your life, you might experience moments of these levels. But they're, they're rich, and they're deep, and they're important. They're important. If you have lived your life, and all you know is this one-sided gospel, you will not make it. You won't make it. I promise you. You won't make it without the fear of God. So the first level to fearing God is to fear the king. Now, God is described as a king. And a king, he fights for his country, for his people. That means that if he has to fight, he will. That, if, that means who his people are, there's a clear understanding. Now, I, I think that it's really funny. There's this, like, idea that, uh, I th I, it's true partially, but it's partially not true the way people say it. They'd be, listen, God, there should be no shame with God. I've heard this. I literally saw a TikTok where a guy's like, I hate the way the church peddles shame, that they just try and show that you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, if you read the Bible, huh, honestly, I'm not trying to peddle shame here. You know what? I spent spent days thinking about this, like thinking about this so deep. I believe God wants to alleviate shame, but if you walk around without shame of sin or without shame of the absence of God, why would you ever go to him? Why would you ever turn from something you don't believe you need to turn from? And the world tries to paint this picture of God as, listen, you shouldn't be ashamed of anything. That is untrue. 
And that's important for this generation to know. Because although the word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it also says whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever believes not in him stands condemned already. If you want to alleviate condemnation and shame, you have to do it by turning to Christ. You cannot do it by manipulating this idea of what you want Christ to look like. You can't do it. And the world, on, literally on TikTok, on Reels, they'll be like, listen, the historic Jesus, Jesus, he loved everybody. Listen, these sins, they're not wrong. And, 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 and you can do whatever you want. You be whatever you want. And that's not true, though. Because maybe I might not have engaged in this particular sin. I know how fallen and how ashamed I am sometimes when I go before the Father. And the only way I can alleviate that shame is not just being like, you know what, I'm going to accept it. It's by letting him accept it for me. Letting him take it. And guess what? Then I can walk in freedom. I'm not trying to say you have to live with shame. I'm saying the only way to live without it is with Jesus. It's not with self-love and acceptance. It's with Jesus. And this is a hard gospel, y'all. This is like a big pill to swallow. This is something that, that, that a lot of preachers don't preach about, that a lot of teachers don't teach about, because it's hard to fully let it sink in when we're looking for a God that fits our needs of convenience that fits our, our desires for convenience, I would say. Let me say this. Let me say this really strong. God is scary. He is scary. If you have never been in his presence and been a little scared, you do not have an adequate understanding of the fear of God. He is wicked scary. Now, he is loving, and he is kind, and he is caring, but we cannot forget that I cannot exist following him if he's a weak God. I can't. Why would I want to follow something that the world paints as weaker than me? The world wants to paint this weak Jesus who tells people what to do, but not us. Who tells them what to do and they did wrong, but don't tell me. Don't show me my wickedness. Don't show me my shame. And what I love about God is that he doesn't even have to tell you your problems, if you are with him and in his presence, it will be obvious. It's so obvious. And if you can adequately walk into the presence of God and sometimes be like, oh, man, God, help me. Man, I am so human. It's not even funny. I'm so, I have some messed up thoughts. It's not even funny. God, help me, help me, help me. Help me maintain this fear. Oh, gosh. I know what could happen if I don't follow correctly, if I don't do the right thing. I know. And this doesn't mean that every moment I walk like <gasps> so afraid. But if you've never had that experience, you might not have an adequate understanding of this fear of God. That God so desperately wants us to have. Why? Because it's a fountain of wisdom for us. It's knowledge. It's understanding. Do we want a weak God who's pushed around that the world shows us? That the world tries to manufacture a Jesus that is weak and bends to the world's standards 
For real? See, a lot of times they'll be like, well, I, did, I, I finally accepted myself and I have feel freedom. I finally accepted these parts of me and I feel freedom. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with being who you are and accepting, listen, like I, I'm made this way to a certain extent, like I, I can sometimes have a temper, I understand these things, I know how to combat them, all this stuff, personality tests, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying accepting a sin nature in your life and being fine with it. It's basically like having peace in a jail cell. That's what it's like. It's like taking a nap in a jail cell. Yeah, yeah, you might have a, a moment of like silence and solitude and it's nice, you can like sit and have your thoughts, but you don't realize you're literally trapped in this sin and in this jail cell. It's like, it's like having a, a, a moment of, of blissful ignorance. There's a difference. There's a difference between feeling relieved in a moment and feeling free. There is a difference. I heard a man talking about that, and he was talking about how people are constantly being like, I accept exactly who I am, the way I am, and I shouldn't change it. And, and I feel freedom in that. He goes, freedom? That's not freedom. That's momentary relief. That's just like, whew. Oh, I don't got anyone breathing down my neck. It's really nice. That's momentary relief because it's not freedom when you're trapped in a sin cycle that your whole life will lead to hell. That's not freedom. It isn't. What is more free is being able to look those fears of the enemy in the face because you have the fear of God on your back. That's what's more fear, or that's what's more free. That is where freedom takes us. So God is scary, y'all. Oh, he's scary. He is. He should be. Why? We want God to conquer all the enemies. We sing that, will be like, Lord, conquer all the enemies, right? Well, if he was weak and he wasn't scary, what the heck would he be doing? He should be. And that means that to us sometimes, having that adequate fear is important. Now, some of you, you've stayed in this level of fear of the king for too long. This is one layer of the fear of God. This is not the whole thing. It is important. It is something our generation has lost. For real. Our generation has lost that fear. They, they start to be like, hell doesn't even exist. It doesn't exist. In the Bible, well, technically it was talking about like a pit of trash. And it wasn't actually talking about a place. That's actually a true thing. I ain't playing, y'all. Well, God, he wasn't actually God. He actually had uh, a wife. Uh, and on TikTok, these ideas are like floating around. Well, no, this was just something that the Israelites made up to oppress people. This is what's floating around. Our generation has lost the fear, has lost the, oh my goodness, I got to get myself together. I have to figure this out because God, he's scary. He is. If you haven't been a little afraid of him at some point in your life, Try it. It's like a breath of fresh air. It's like clarity in your nostrils. Now, does this mean that a king would punish his people? Fear of the king would punish his people. Can God punish? Yes, he can. He can. He, the Bible is very clear. Like, he does it. He does punish. But what the New Testament shows us is that no longer 
does he punish his children because Jesus took that punishment. He took the punishment. Now what's left is God's guiding discipline. The difference between punishment and discipline is discipline is trying to get you into a direction that God wants you to go. It says in Hebrews, he's talking about, yes, God obviously disciplines his children because they are his children. But we do not have to face the wrath of the punishment of God if we live in him. What does that mean? Oh, man. You ready? What does that mean? If we don't live in him, we do. We do face that punishment. He does not punish his children. He disciplines them. But if they don't accept Jesus, they don't accept Jesus, they stand condemned. I'm talking about people in your school. I'm talking about people that you know. There's a, there's a famous preacher, and he said this one time, because uh, there's this phrase that gets talked about a lot. People will be like, God doesn't hate the sinner. He only hates the sin. This is true. I believe that God does hate the sin, and he loves the world. He loved the world so much he gave his only son, but it takes them being willing to accept it. God does hate the sin, and he does love the sinner, But let me tell you, the sin is not what ends up in hell. I know that's heavy, man. This is heavy. This is heavy. This does not feel good to preach. I literally have been afraid to preach this. I was talking to Pastor Dave. He said, how are you feeling about your message? I'm terrified because it is not nice. Yes, he hates the sin and he loves the sinner, But in the end, the sin doesn't end up in hell. The sinner does. These are people. This could be you. I'm not trying to peddle fear and shame. I'm trying to show you that God, he's offering you a way out. He's giving you a way out. Take it. Take it, please, please. Please. The first thing John the Baptist preached was a warning. When he came and he introduced, uh, and, he was, and he was making a way for Christ to come, it wasn't like, listen, guys, it's going to be all fruit baskets, and it's going to be amazing. There's going to be teddy bears and roses. He said, listen, I'm warning you. Please, please listen to me. If you have not accepted Jesus, if you have not accepted him as your Lord, You stand condemned already. That's not saying that that he hates you. He loves you so much to offer you a way out. He loves you so much to offer you this. See, I've heard some atheists talk about this. They say, like, listen, we uh, Christians create religion just so we can feel good. Feel good? Y'all read the Bible? It don't feel good. Sometimes I'm with the, I'm literally praying and I don't feel good. It hurts. It hurts so much. 
Because in the presence of a creator who is so holy and so amazing and so wise and so perfect, I see the cracks and the crevices of my own heart. I see the dividing line between good and bad that is at war in my own heart. I see light and darkness that is trying to win in my own heart. Of course, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Now, yes, God is the comforter, but he comforts us in a whirlwind of, of, of evil that's surrounding him. He is the only comforter. He is the only one. But it doesn't feel good because I have to understand that what he's comforting inside me is the part that he instilled, not the part that I instilled. That means the flesh that I still have. That means the evil desires. He's not comforting. He's pushing those out. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came with a sword to divine spirit and to divide spirit and soul, bone from marrow. What does that mean? It means he's cutting you up and slicing you up so he can get rid of the infectious parts of your life that will send you to an eternal hell. And he can preserve the part that he's instilling in you and make you new and create within you a thing that you did not know was possible. A life of love that is only existing because you were first afraid to approach a God knowing how awful you were. Listen, this is so important. Matthew 10, 28. I want to read this because this is the scripture verse that like really, really sat within me. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, Jesus is saying. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. That's every fear you have. Every fear, fear of dying, fear of you know, getting a car accident, all those fears, all those fears are fears that can hurt the body. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. <whistles> That's some heavy stuff. He's saying, listen, I don't think here Jesus was making a threat He's just showing the awe and the power that God has. Listen, if you really want to know who to listen to, I'm going to show you who to listen to. It's like, it's like when a parent's like, ah, 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 I'm the boss, right? God is showing you, why are you afraid of this, this weakling, the enemy, the devil? Why are you afraid of this thing happening in your life when literally I am the scariest thing? You should be on my side. You should be with me. See, would be, God wouldn't be loving if he was like, listen, I'm scary and you can't do anything about it. But he's going like this. I'm scary, so get on my side so we can defeat some stuff. That's what he's saying. I, I am powerful, so become one with me so that we can be the power into this world. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. What I love about this is he hits so hard, He's Jesus is talking to Matthew, he hits so hard with this like statement that feels so like jolting, because you're like, holy smokes, that's some heavy stuff, don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the, who can't destroy the body and soul, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, that's some heavy stuff, and then he goes right into talking about something else, he says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? He's saying sparrows, they're not worth anything, they're sold for a penny, yet, not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs in your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
He's saying, if a sparrow is so worthless and God sees it and he knows it and he watches over it, how much more will he watch over you if you are his child? This is important. Does God have wrath? Yes. Does God have punishment? Yes. But he does not have wrath and punishment for his children. He has discipline. This is really, really important to know. Because if you stand outside of him, and you stand away from him, and you're on one side, you stand condemned already. It is not until you listen and you, and you pull him in as a father that you can truly understand the fear of God on another level. So number two, the second level of deepening your understanding of the fear of God is to adore the Father, to adore your Father in heaven. Now, my dad, uh, he can get scary sometimes. Uh, I, I may have developed a little bit of my attributes from him. And one thing that he does that I've actually started to do, I think it's really funny, is when he's sleeping at night and he, you wake him up, it's sort of like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Y'all have those moments? Like, literally, someone comes in, hey, is there anyone there? You understand? Like, you freak out. My dad, I would be so afraid. Uh, we know we'd had to, like, wake him up for something, and me and my brother Thomas would be outside. We'd be like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You go, you go, you go. And you'd, like, sneak in, and you'd try and, like, make a little bit of noise so they wake up before you get there. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, you're like oh, whoa, whoops. And you make a little noise, and finally you're there. He's not waking up, and he's snoring, and you're just like, oh, Lord. Oh, help me. Hey, Dad. What are we Right? He, like, gets up. He, like, gets up. He's, he's not wearing money clothes, right? He gets out of bed. What's wrong? What's going on? What's going on? Right? And it would scare me as a kid. You know what's funny? I do that now straight up. Straight up. Well, we were at, like, a, the pastors were away at, like, a, 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 like a conference, uh, and Pastor Dan, me and him were in, like, a, a hotel room together, and we got up a little late, as I do, and I'm still sleeping, and he's getting ready, but I didn't know because I was dead asleep, and all of a sudden, Pastor calls. He's like, come on, guys, where you at? We're downstairs, and I didn't know that, so Pastor Dan comes over to me. He's got his phone in his hand. And he, and he, like, shakes me. He goes, hey, Pastor Tyler, we got to get going. I get so scared. I didn't know what happened. I was like, <gasps> I start freaking out. I don't know why. I grabbed his phone and went, hello? 100% true. And he just goes, oh, that's my phone. Thank you. I don't know why. I just got scared. I was like, there's someone on the line. I got to call. Hello? God, are you there? I got scared. But I was afraid of my dad, and I, and I ended up being that. I ended up being a guy who has the attributes of his father, who, although is different and unique, I have developed some of the attributes that my dad has, whether they're dumb or good. I think a lot of times we have some bad habits some generational problems that have uh, accrued in our lives that we hold on to from our parents. 
But if you understand at a deeper level that fearing God is more than just him as king, but it goes even deeper, and now it's him as a father, and you, the way you fear your father is different than the way you would fear a king. Because maybe your father might not discipline you in a moment, but you see the look of disappointment on his face. And you want, to, you want to show him, listen, Dad, I can get this. I can do this. Hey, son, can you go do that? Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. You want to model him because he is formidable when you're young. I remember my dad was like, he can lift anything. He can pick it up. My dad can beat up your dad. My mom can beat up your mom. Maybe, I don't know. But you start to model your parents. Because to you, in those moments, you see them, and they're the one to be like. And it's, a, it's scary sometimes when they show that they're disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Y'all heard that before? That hurts. It hurts. I might not have got my phone taken away. I might not have been grounded to my room. But there's the, the fear of disappointing them. Even though there was no consequences, there was that fear. And that was healthy. That was a healthy fear. It's not only to have, it's not only healthy to have God as a king, but it's so important that you don't just leave it there. So many people, you know why they leave the faith? It's because they literally just understand God as this king. And they think of him as this tyrant who's powerful. And they forget that, yes, he is a king. Yes, he is powerful. But he's also a father who will sit down with you, listen, and talk. But he's a father who has expectations and says, no son of mine is going to be doing that. No daughter of mine is going to be doing that. And now your understanding of the fear of God doesn't create distance like a tyrant, but it creates desire to be with him, desire to grow in relationship with him. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. 2 Corinthians, it says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I had to be very bold going into my father's room to wake him up. But I wasn't so afraid like maybe a king, because I knew he was my dad. I knew he was my father. And although I had fears and moments of, of discipline, the outcome wasn't, wasn't to, to be so afraid of him that I couldn't approach him. So I wasn't so afraid of him that I couldn't talk to him. It's important that you not only look at God as a king, but you see him as your father. First John says this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with that word we were talking about, punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What is this fear he's talking about in First John? Is this the fear of God so I don't have to fear God? No, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's saying you do not have to be afraid of the things in life. You do not have to be afraid of those, those anxieties, those phobias, why? Because perfect love has cast those fears out. But I'm still a father. I'm still a king. I still have all these attributes. But I will cast those fears out of you 
so that you can experience a perfect love, a love that goes beyond all understanding. And I can't experience that perfect love until I first see him as a father who is scary, who disciplines, who loves, who protects, who provides. This father sense that we have, that we understand God as, is so important because he still has to be approachable. He has to be approachable. I love history, and I love, like, researching history and reading books about history. And there's this guy in the 1600s. His name was Martin Luther, not King Jr., way before him, Martin Luther. And at the time, the church was very leaning towards this idea of God as a king. It was like, you have to do these things. And, and although they're true, although our culture is completely on the other end, his culture at the time was like, you were so afraid of God as a king, he was so unapproachable. The Bible wasn't readily available for people at the time. And I was reading this book on Martin Luther, and he said something that was interesting. The people were talking about the love of God. He goes, does God even love me? He's basically, he's like a tyrant king. He's so scary. And what happens is, when you constantly only view him as that, and not as a father, that fear that tw twists God, when you only understand one aspect of the fear of God, it twists his understanding of God that he said, not only do I believe he hates me, sometimes I struggle with hating him. This man later went on to read the word and understand and create a revolution and a restitution to the church of God like never seen before. He reformed so much of what the church did that was evil. He brought into light some of the evil things that were happening, but he had these thoughts. Why? Because he only viewed God from one dimension. He only seen God as an evil king and a tyrant. He forgot and he did not know God is a father. You cannot have one without the other. You have to understand that not only is he a king who desires you to live, who you should be trembling in the presence of, but he's a father who is not approachable because we are very bold, it says in 2 Corinthians. We have a, a, a boldness about us that God has given to us because he's there to protect and provide. He's there to show us that not, we don't have to be afraid of the things of this world. Why? Because we have a backing of a God who is scarier than yours. We have a backing of a God who is more scary, more, more to be feared than anything that's going on in this earth. That's what our God is. But that's our Father, the protector and the provider. You can go to him. That's why we're here this week. Go to him. Be with him. I love this uh, passage in Exodus. Moses is the guy with the Ten Commandments. He comes down off the mountain, and, he, and, he's, and he's getting these Ten Commandments. And uh, the Israelites at the time, they get, really, they get really scared. Why? Because God is scary. We've already established that. He's wicked scary. He's super powerful. He knows it. We know it. He's scary. This is what Moses says to Israelites, Exodus 20, 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Love that. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you. So that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. What? <laughs> Listen, do not be afraid. Why? Because God's going to give you a fear. 
of God. I love that. What is he showing us? He's showing us that fear of God is not being afraid. Don't be afraid of him. Have fear in him. Wow, that's some wicked stuff. That's awesome. Don't be afraid to approach him because he's your father. But understand and have a reverence and a fear of him that goes, holy smokes, you know who I'm approaching? God, the creator of the universe, the one who knows my thoughts, the one who sees everything I've ever done, the one who I cannot hide anything from. He sees, he knows, he is there in every present moment, in the moments you've had, in the moments you've never had. He's there. He sees it all. That's the God I'm approaching, but I can approach him. This is important, y'all, especially if you've been afraid of God. If you've been afraid of God, you haven't gone to the depths of what it means to really know him and have a fear of God that not only is a fear of the king, but it's a way for you to adore your father. It's a way for you to have a father. Maybe you don't have a father. Maybe you've grown up without parents who have shown you the way. He is your father, and he is with you. So we have first not only a, a healthy fear of the king, and as we go in deeper into the fear of God, we know that we can adore him as father. The third thing, the third level of understanding the fear of God is to understand that we can know, we start to know the unknown. What do I mean by this? I mean that God is so crazy different than you. Like, so, you, immeasurably different. Like, he is so different. And the fear of God is not just, it's not a fear of just punishment. It's not a fear of that. It's not just a fear of a father being disappointed. It's this thing in you that understands how insanely different the God of the universe is. Think about this. C.S. Lewis, he's a famous theologian. He's, he talks about this. He says, if I was to tell you that a lion is in the other room, you'd be scared. You'd be like tripping. You'd be like, dog, get that thing out of here. It's going to eat me. I don't know. I don't like its stripes. I don't know. It's just weird. It might be like a mouse like Alex. I get scared. Why? Because it has a threat to my life. It can literally chew me up. That's why I'm afraid of it. And then he says, now, if you were to take a ghost that can't hurt you, it's not going to do anything to you, and I was to tell you that a ghost exists in the other room, you would probably still be afraid. Why? Because it's so weird. It's different. It might not hurt me, but it's so foreign and alien to me. It's so insanely different, and I don't understand it. It's, 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 it's scary. It's so different that it's scary. When you understand this as a depth of the fear of God, you understand that he is so incredibly different than you. Now, the Bible says we're made in his image. We've all said that. We've all, we're made in the image of God. Yes, you are made in the image of God, but think about this. What's the biggest planet in our solar system? What's it called? Jupiter, right? When I was in, uh, when I was homeschooled, we'd make like these like dioramas of planets, and I love planets. And I made this diorama of Jupiter. I made it out of a foam ball with some paint. So made the little swirls, got the big like eye that it's got, like it's awesome. It's like Jupiter, right? 
It is nothing like Jupiter. If you were to like, someone walk down the stairs and be like, whoa, is that the real Jupiter? No one's going to do that. Why? Jupiter is huge. It's a planet. And it's got a bunch of gas. What is, my, what is my little planet that I made? What is it? Foam and some paint. Although we understand it, though, as Jupiter, listen, we understand it as Jupiter, we still know it's nothing like Jupiter. Although it's an image of Jupiter, it is so different than Jupiter. It literally cannot be more different than Jupiter. You are an image of God, but he knows everything. He's all-powerful. He is everything you cannot be. You are so much different than him, yet you are still in his image. He is so different than you and I. He is like the Holy Ghost because it's so foreign to us. We can't even describe what he's like. Now, this type of fear, this third area, is a fear of awe, and a fear of reverence because he's so big, so powerful, so wonderful that it's not even describable or understandable fully. Let me tell you this. If you have an encounter at collision, if you have an encounter here, God meets you. He wrecks you inside your life, and you can't describe it. You literally cannot describe it. You have a collision with God, and you're in your bunk, and you're trying to tell somebody, which is good. We want you to talk about it, share testimonies. But you're like, my testimony, my words, can't even put it into description what happened. Guess what? That's a good thing. Why? Because you're encountering the indescribable God of the universe, and you're trying to describe it with human English words. That shouldn't be describable. That should not be fully describable. Now, you can paint a picture like a Jupiter that you make in your basement, but you can't paint the full picture of what it feels like to encounter God. How could you? You shouldn't even be able to. So don't look at yourself and be like, oh, I don't even know if I had a good experience. I don't even know if God met me there because I can't explain it to my friend. Well, guess what? If you can't explain it to your friend, it probably is a good sign that you did encounter God. If it's like, wow, I, I don't even know. And they might be like, that's cool, man, <laughs> They might not fully, like, feel what you felt. Why? Because they're not supposed to. God encountered you in that moment. Now, it's amazing when you share a testimony and everyone experiences God as well. He meets them there, too. That's awesome. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm not saying that you should just harbor all your experiences to God to yourself and not share your testimony, not share what God is doing. But let me tell you, he's doing a lot more than you're even capable of sharing. Have you ever read the Old Testament or ever read Revelation? It's wicked weird. You know why it's weird? Because they're trying to describe something that is literally indescribable. So they're like, and a sword came from his mouth, right? And you're just like, how does that happen? The guy's like, I don't know. I can't even describe what I'm seeing. They're like, the angels had like eyes all around them. And they had wheels and they're like, right? I guarantee you, he gets back from like seeing those angels. He's like, okay, I don't even know how to describe this. Oh, uh, he had a wheel and another wheel. Inside that wheel was, another, I think, another wheel, right? And we read it, and to us, we're like, this guy was, he was on something. No, he's just trying to show in words something that is literally indescribable. God, he's so powerful. He's so big. 
He's so much more beyond what I can be. Why would I not be on his side? Why would I not want to be in the presence? Do I want to just know what I know? Or do I want to experience the infinite literally in my heart? I can experience him. In Revelation, I love this. Here's him describing Jesus. John, the guy who wrote Revelation, he says this. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like, I love this, like a son of man. He's saying the closest thing I can tell you, he's like a son of man. He's like, he's like it, but he's something different. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. And with a golden sash around his chest, the, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sounding of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Who is he talking about? This is Jesus. Now, we see a much different picture when we read the Gospels. John, the guy who wrote this, literally walked with Jesus. And when he sees Jesus in his full glory, he's going, this is something I've never seen. This is what John does. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead, as, as though dead. And he placed his hand in me and said this. I love this. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look. I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. God is so big, guys. There are people who don't know him, who will never see him like that. I don't want that to be you. John's seen him for years. Jesus did ministry on earth for years with John. John knew him. He was at the cross. And when he sees him in all his glory, even though he was with him in the miracles and the amazing things Jesus did here on earth, when he sees Jesus in full glory, he falls on the ground as though dead. Because God is so different. I'm just burdened by this. Guys, you need him. You need him. We've lost the fear. We've lost the fear of God. We so, we so just want God to chase us and make us feel good. And we forget that we just, we've got to go after him. Even when it hurts our flesh, even when it's painful, we have to go. We can't sit on the sidelines and stop pursuing after him. Why? Because he's already done the pursuing for us. He died on the cross. He's already paid it. He's done the work. 
And we like to just sit in our own idea of what Jesus is and try and maneuver him and try and say, no, God, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't be that way. And we read the Bible, and it hurts, and it's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to hurt so bad sometimes. And other times, it's supposed to show you his comfort as a father. And other times, it's supposed to be like, this is so much different than me. But each time, it's instilling a fear within you that goes, I cannot live without you. I can't live without you. Even if you've known Jesus your whole life, I can't live without more of your spirit, more of your heart, more, more. I need you more. I can't live. I can't live in a world where I just pretend. I can't live in a world where I just have a mask. I can't live in a world where I'm just living my life, not understanding the eternity that I'm going to reach and the people who won't be there. And I love them so much that I'm afraid. I'm afraid for their soul. I'm afraid for their life. I love God so much that I'm afraid not of him, but of a life without him. I'm not so afraid I can't approach him, but I'm so afraid of a life of never approaching him. Don't do that. Don't do it. There are people who should be here at Collision right now. I know people. I can see their faces. They should be here at Collision right now. And I'm not condemning them. I'm not. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm not saying they don't love God. I'm not saying anything like that. But we're here now. You're here now. What are we going to do? How much longer will the world twist who God is? And will the church just put up with it? And will the church just be like, yeah, well, yeah, God, you know, Jesus, he, he loves everybody. He does love everybody. He loves them so much. He's saying you should be afraid of a life without me, of eternity without me. That's what you should be afraid of. That's how much I love you, that I'm offering you away. So can everyone in this place bow your heads and close your eyes? God's offering you a way. He's giving you freedom. But man, he's big. He's powerful. If you stand on the outside of his love, now that doesn't mean he doesn't love you, but you have pushed yourself either the love of God away or you've never experienced that love of God. Because you've never fully looked inward and seen how desperate you need him. And you want him. If you want him, you say, I need God in my heart. I need a father. I need a king. I need something different than me. If that's you, can you stand up? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. This is bold. You know what I'd be afraid of? I'd be afraid of sitting down knowing I need to stand up. If that's you, stand up. You're, you're maybe more afraid of what people think than the fear of not stepping out in a moment when God is, is beckoning your heart 
Is that where we're at? You say, I need him. I need him so bad. If that's you, stand up. One last call. Stand up. God sees you. He loves you. You now have a father. You now have a father. Look at me, y'all. Look at me. You have a father. Everyone stand up. I want us to pray this. And we're going to pray this all together. But this is not only going to be a, a prayer for salvation. This is for anyone who's saying, listen, I need God to instill within me a deeper fear of God that I've never had. A deeper understanding of this fear of God. And I'm not going to approach him without a little bit of fear and trembling. I will approach him because he has made me bold, but I'm not going to do it without a little bit of fear and trembling because I know how powerful and how awe-inspiring and how wonderful he is, how good he is. So say this with me. Say, Jesus, give me your heart. Not a heart of weakness, but this is strength. Strength to die for me. To take the punishment that was reserved for me on your back. You came victorious, paying a ransom for me that I did not deserve. So with this understanding, bring within me a fear of God that is unquenchable, that the enemy can't soften. And through this, I will know your love. I will know your wisdom. I will gain knowledge and understanding. And I will be transformed. In the name of Jesus, everybody said.